Wesley Bull, and this is Corporate Insecurity. Gents, welcome. It's good to uh, get everybody around the table again and uh, open up some discussion. We've had a number of discussions about transition from the .gov to the .com space. Uh, one of the unique things about all of us, we've all come from government work in the, private se in the public sector and switched over into the private sector, uh, though our paths took us through different directions. Clearly, all of us have had to navigate what it means to transition from a uh, public sector career into a private sector career, and there's a lot of different pitfalls and challenges and learnings that you get from that. And as we've all talked about as friends over the uh, years, there's a lot of scars that one gets uh, from that process. So I want to welcome all of you. Um, so today we've got uh, Scott Walker, Robert Mitchell, and Jerry Davis uh, joining us here on Corporate Insecurity. And specifically, we're going to spend some time talking about what it was like for all of us to go through our transition plans. And so before we dive into that, why don't we go around the horn and uh, do some introductions, give a little thumbnail about your background so people know where we're coming from and uh, where we've gone to. So Scott, why don't you kick us off? Thanks for having me, Wes. And it's great to be on the panel with a bunch of uh, great veterans who made transition in very, very different ways. Um, I, my journey started uh, over 20 years ago um, with uh, coming out of high school, joining the military like everybody else, not knowing what I wanted to do. Um, through my military experience, I figured it out and went into law enforcement. Uh, spent several years in law enforcement before I transitioned to the private sector and worked for two tech companies in very different roles. Um, and then uh, was fortunate enough to join a great consulting organization and uh, be a consultant. Good deal. Robert Mitchell. Welcome. Good morning, Wes, uh, Jerry, and Scott. Thank you very much for, for hosting this, Wes. And uh, you know, this is this is a subject we all I think uh, could will speak to at length, and, and never goes sort of out of style. Um, so in my case, I spent about ten years on active duty in the Navy and uh, the SEAL teams, um, and then made my first transition into the private sector, where I uh, worked as uh, one of the early team members of uh, the then unknown uh, security consulting firm called Blackwater. Um, I did that for about two years while I was applying to uh, the Central Intelligence Agency. Um, did not get picked up my first go around, so I had to go my, now my second transition um, back into the private sector, to the real private sector. Uh, and I worked as a securities uh, broker, a stockbroker, uh, um, or financial representative, uh, if you want to call it that these days, um, mm -hmm. for Jones, which is a very traditional old school uh, brokerage firm. Um, I did that very unsuccessfully <laughs> for a, a mercifully brief period of time uh, before I, I had reapplied to the agency and did finally get picked up. Um, so I spent about five years as a paramilitary officer, um, again, deploying to most of the hotspots in Iraq, Afghanistan, and elsewhere. Mm -hmm. uh, and then uh, uh, yet another transition, um, which started a series of events that led to me being co-founder of two technology companies, uh, one in cybersecurity, the other in cyber insurance. Um, and then, in fact, uh, in 2012, 2013, along with a couple of other um, business leaders and uh, other interested, uh, interested folks in supporting veterans' causes, we started a uh, veterans' nonprofit uh, called, then called Your Grateful Nation, 
which was focused specifically on transition for Special Operations Forces veterans. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll talk about that at length. Um, Great. And uh, then one more transition uh, about almost three years ago now when I moved back home to California. Good deal. Uh, lot, lots of rich experience uh, to unpack in the course of our discussions today. And uh, Jerry, Jerry Davis, why don't you uh, give everyone a little perspective on your background and also a very interesting cat. Sure, sure. Yeah, so good morning, everybody. I, this is, this is, I've been looking forward to this. It's going to be a lot of fun. But, um, you know, my, my career has been kind of interesting. It started uh, a little bit over 20 years ago, maybe 22, 23 years ago. Uh, my first foray was uh, right, right out of high school. Uh, I joined the Marine Corps uh, Reserve Component because I figured it was safe and they never sent reservists to war. And then uh, three years later, they sent me to war. <laughs> I to the first Gulf War, did a, did a, a stint there in uh, light armored infantry. Um, came back and, and made my way, uh, this is in the early 90s, 92, into uh, the counterintelligence side of, of the Marine Corps and uh, spun that into uh, jobs as a, as a private investigator doing some Rosso work. Um, and uh, that uh, made its way into Central Intelligence Agency, was picked up by Central Intelligence Agency and worked in um, uh, counter-espionage, counter-intelligence field, um, offensive operations for a number of years. And then uh, got out of that and started consulting, started consulting for some of the you know major um, IT firms doing cybersecurity consulting, um, EDS, Booz Allen, so on and so forth. And at some point, I decided to go back to the government and was uh, the uh, Chief Information Security Officer, or CISO, for Department of Education. That transitioned over into uh, CISO for, for NASA, NASA-wide headquarters out of D.C., and then made my way, uh, after a few years there, made my way over to Veterans Affairs, where I was a Deputy Assistant Secretary and CISO for, um, and Privacy Officer for Veterans Affairs. And uh, NASA came calling, and I returned back to NASA as the Chief Information Officer at uh, NASA Ames Research Center out here in Silicon Valley. Um, and uh, after uh, five or six years, you know, and a total of about 20, 20 years of government uh, service, military government, I said, uh, yeah, it's time for me to uh, go back into the private industry and was chief security officer uh, for pretty large semiconductor manufacturing equipment company. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, after a short time in there, I decided, hey, you know, I'm going to start my own thing and um, founder of uh, a small uh, LLC, Griffin X, where I focus on uh, IT advisory, cybersecurity functions, um, still working some stuff on the space side, resilient space systems, uh, so on and so forth. And uh, where I ran into uh, where I ran into uh, Wes actually a couple years ago when I started with uh, doing the semiconductor stuff. Um, and I'm just, in, I'm enjoying it, having a good time. And like I said, I'm really looking forward to these discussions. Yeah, and it, it, it's a great segue, Jerry, because I think one of the things to the point of our introductions, you know, uh, and even Rob, our introductions too, you know, it all came from a network of people from CIA, right? We all had, we all had friends and, and, and former colleagues in common. And, you know, just through the network of introductions of, hey, this guy's also in California, you should talk to him or Jerry for us. You know, I former been uh, chief security officer at NVIDIA. And, um, you know, just given our uh, common threading in the uh, semiconductor industry, you know, got the introduction and we started uh, 
talking about what's transition look like, what's it like to navigate the private sector, uh, deal with board interactions, C-suite interactions, and how do they differentiate from, from the government space. So pretty interesting to uh, highlight right out of the shoot that networking is something that is a theme that we'll talk about, I'm sure, throughout our discussions this morning. Uh, and we'll continue to emanate about the importance of, uh, to quote Scott Walker on the line here, uh, don't go it alone. He always says that to all the transitioning veterans, do not try to do this on your own. Um, it, it really does take a village and um, you know, certainly you guys are mine uh, or among them. So uh, it's great to, to kick off. For those that are joining that may not have followed uh, corporate, informa- uh, corporate and security podcast, uh, my background actually started in law enforcement and I uh, came up through the law enforcement side to a lot of special uh, training, special operations work that took me into federal task force work, which then was a segue into doing contract work for the intelligence community. So um, similarly had uh, extensive .gov experience before moving into uh, two respective uh, CSO and CISO roles before launching my own ventures about five years ago. So uh, it is an interesting environment to navigate. And Jerry, maybe as a jumping off point, we'll start with you, you know, just to get right into the deep end of the pool, when you think about your own transition, um, you know, think about pitfalls. Like, what were what were some of the key lessons learned that you'd highlight right out of the gate, and then we can kind of unpack, go around the the table, talk about everybody's respective experiences, and unpack that a bit for our listeners and viewers. Yeah, um, great, Wes. So, you know, I think uh, for myself, at least, and some of the things when I look back at that I learned um, <clears throat> is. Uh, Number one, particularly if you're coming out of uh, military service, and I, and I kind of saw this uh, with folks, and one of the things that, that uh, I want to impress upon folks is that uh, when you're coming out of the military, it's, uh, it's uh, yeah, you've done a, a, a tremendous and great service that not a lot of people um, are willing to do or, or can do. But one thing that I learned uh, in looking back is that at the end of the day, no, no one owes you anything. You know, and I think sometimes there's a feeling of like, hey, you know, I, I you know, I was in the military and I did these things like you, you owe me. And so uh, when you're transitioning, transitioning out, you know, take the belief that, uh, you know, no one owes you anything at the, at the end of the day. Uh, right. I, yeah, I think, you know, another another big piece of that um, is that uh, sometimes it can be the, the opposite where you don't think or, or believe that you have transferable skills. Um, and maybe, you know, directly one-on-one, so you have maybe a little bit of a confidence thing, but I think the biggest thing uh, that you can bring, especially from military service, into um, private industry is that, and, it's, and it can be undervalued uh, when you're going to companies and corporations and that sort of thing, is, is your leadership ability. I think people sometimes uh, doubt uh, or don't uh, put into a focus that they're bringing leadership above all things. And that's what most corporations need to, to begin with, right? So when I went into uh, the government and then transitioned out and then went into uh, private industry, you know, it was, it was all about leadership stuff. You know, my functional skills, yeah, but at the end of the day, it was leadership stuff. And one of the things, uh, again, that I learned was that, you know, I was, I was given a, uh, I did a, um, a radio interview in Washington, D.C. when I finally left government for the last time in 2013. And one of the questions I was asked was about, hey, you know, you, you, you're leaving government, you're going to this 
this big company and that sort of thing, you know, what, or, you know, does that kind of get fear about that and that sort of thing? And I said, no, I said, because leadership is scalable to any size. Doesn't matter in, in any situation, doesn't matter how big the company is or how small it is, leadership is scalable. So I would tell folks that, you know, number one, no one owes you anything. And number two, you know, if, if you don't have anything, if, if you're in the military and the government, you definitely have leadership skills and, you know, leverage those skills to the, to the extent possible. And that's what, you know, a lot of companies are looking for, really true leaders. So that's what I would put out there just to kind of start. Great. Rob, how about yourself? What would you uh, what would you highlight in terms of pitfalls or key lessons you took away right out of the gate? Oh boy, um, so many <laughs> mistakes right? from my own experience. Um, we can talk about what not to do all day long. Um, so it, it's it's an interesting question because you know, and Wes, you, I know you and I discussed this a little bit before the podcast um, uh, a day or so ago, but. One of the big issues is that, at least when I was getting out, um, you know, and now that's years ago, which is hard to believe, but, uh, you know, there really was no transition. There was uh, the TAP class, the Transition Assistance Program, that was five days of, you know, showing up and, and trying to fog the mirror um, while somebody drank on at you about the importance of dressing well and, you know, how to do an interview that you're probably never going to have. Um, so, so I think the... the the important thing is to uh, start early. In other words, your transition begins nowadays, ideally at least a year before you act for your end of uh, whatever your end of service date is. Um, and I, I think the military specifically has done a much better job of that lately. Um, certainly, I know in, in the special operations community, broadly, much, much better at preparing guys. Uh, that includes, by the way, things like... Um, your education options, your uh, sort of a financial review, because guess what? You know now you have to pay taxes on everything, and your medical and your housing. You're not getting all those nice tax-free allowances anymore. So what does your financial picture really look like? How much money will you need to make? Those kinds of questions uh, that I certainly never asked myself. Um, I think I think um, you know things like understanding your market value. Um, and I think Jerry alluded to the, to the key differentiator for, you know, military veterans, especially in the post 9-11 era as a, as a, as a uh, you know, a, an asset in the uh, commodities market that is, the, you know, the job market. Um, one of the distinguishing features is, especially if, if you serve in combat, is you have the ability to lead teams to get stuff done um, decisively. That is a differentiator and there's a price tag or a price premium um, that companies can and will pay for. Um, so, you know, from my own experience, I did not know my own value in the market, even coming out of the SEAL teams. Uh, certainly, um, I got a little better at it uh, 10 years later when I finally left the agency. But, but I think most veterans really undervalue themselves, um, which is not to say, uh, you know, again, I think said it perfectly, no one owes you anything. But at the same time, you know, you do have some unique value to offer. Um, mm -hmm. Those are a couple, I mean, we can certainly dive into uh, other more specific things. Um, you know, I wish, I, I wish I had, you know, done more to take advantage of educational opportunities or resources that were available 
um, I, I, at the time, I think I did a pretty decent job because I finished my degree um, on the Navy's dime uh, before, mm -hmm. I, before I transitioned out, which was fantastic. That's what allowed me to go to the agency. Um, right. So there, you know, there are other things we can dive into, but those are some of the big ones that I remember from certainly from my first go around. That's great. Scott, how about yourself? Any, any uh, additional things you'd expand upon in terms of key lessons you took from your transition? I'm, I, first of all, I'm really shocked that Mitch, you didn't get anything out of TAPS. I mean, that retired master, master <laughs> chief who uh, is going to teach you about the private sector. Didn't, you didn't learn anything. Right. No. <laughs> the, uh, to to kind of add to what the, the guys were saying, I totally, which I totally agree with, for my transition, it was not knowing enough about business. And I'll share my experience in two stories, one of which is my own. And... Um, one of which is another per person who transitioned uh, who was from my old unit in the military. Um, so in the Air Force, I was a criminal investigator. And um, I was, uh, after transitioning to the private sector, I was talking with a fellow veteran about his transition to the private sector. He was working for a large uh, cable company in the Midwest, uh, cable as a cable TV. And I was talking to him about what kind of investigations he was doing because that was his, his uh, uh, job for the cable company. And um, he was upset or frustrated with his, his employer because they weren't prosecuting any of his investigations. And I said, well, you, you know, you're, you probably should be mitigating the thefts or mitigating these crimes that are occurring and trying to understand how they're happening and, and put compliance or controls in place to, to mitigate those issues. And, and he just couldn't understand it because the world that we came from, which was criminal investigations, it was, I do an investigation and somebody goes to jail. And he could never understand the business aspect of the, why you haven't investigated this. And so that, that showed me that, that there was a kind of, a, there was definitely a disconnect and misunderstanding of what your business is supposed to do. And, Businesses are there to make money. You know, they're not charities uh, unless you work for a charity. Um, but for the most part, they're there to make money. Uh, my experience was I didn't know, to, and kind of pivoting off what Mitch was saying, I didn't understand um, the just even the, con, the first contract I got uh, in the private sector where the recruiter said, okay, I'm going to give you this, we're going to give you these many RSUs. And I was like, What's an RSU? I had no idea. I was happy with the salary. I was happy with the benefits. I had no idea what an RSU was. And the, the thing that has, has been the best for me over the last, I don't know, six years that I, since I transitioned to the private sector has been those first RSUs um, that I had. Uh, the company stock was at $14 when I joined and is over 400 now. So, um, when I talk to veterans in transition, I tell them that story and to pay attention to things like that. If you can get a benefit like that, um, value that uh, and understand what it means in the long run. Mm -hmm. Now, all, all, uh, all the uh, data points that you guys have shared have, are definitely on point. Uh, I mentioned networking uh, to throw my own that I'd put in there. Uh, networking for myself was instrumental in my transition, not only from a standpoint of having good advocacy for how did I translate my skills, what were the opportunities, how did that fit together, uh, but notably for me, my first hop, uh, given the work that I'd done in the past with a strong emphasis on 
financial crimes, uh, terrorist financing, and those types of things. It was an easy layup to first go to financial services. Uh, and, and as an industry, that was pretty interesting because, Scott, to elaborate on the point you made, um, for me, it really added credence to developing my business acumen. So financial services and banking, I learned very quickly, make significant investments or tend to, uh, depending upon the organization, in uh, leadership development training. And again, as, uh, as we've all alluded to here, Jerry, you put emphasis on the leadership piece. Um, certainly that's a, that's something we bring in and you know, really being adept at crisis management, you know, uh, being able to operate under fire. Those are skills we've all well developed in the course of our careers. Uh, what was interesting was to then as part of the transition and because of the networking in the transition for me to be able to, uh, avail myself to leadership development opportunities where I rotated around and got to do uh, leadership uh, skills development in functional areas that had nothing to do with my primary job responsibility. That was instrumental in who I am today and the success uh, and the trajectory I was put on because of the fact that, I, you know, although I had a day job, so to speak, for two years, I literally rotated through different functions and learned how to do strategic planning and run it, how to do financial management, uh, how to do human resources, risk management, um, to look at fraud and financial crimes in a different way. Um, and as a result of that, it greatly shaped my perspective for, as a business person, not as a, quote, security guy. Um, so that was a big, uh, a big factor for me. And then the other one that I know we'll certainly touch upon in our chat today is culture. Um, that was a huge tripwire for me to figure out. And I think and that sounds like such an academic exercise for most people. Um, we all know that there's a culture in any organization we're affiliated with. We don't tend to lay close attention to really deconstructing or dissecting what it all means and how things really get done. Uh, and that's, in my estimation, absolutely the pivotal uh, criteria point in whether or not you make a successful transition is looking at you know, what are the, what's the inventory of your culture and what matters to you and how does it line up with the organization you're patching over to? Um, that can make all the difference in the world about whether you'll be successful. So um, with that in mind, if, if you think through um, a successful transition, you know, we've talked about some specific data points um, that were, you know, again, lessons learned, key observations and so forth. If you really cinched it down to uh, the one pivotal thing that was a critical success factor for you, what would it be? And Rob, I'll start with you. If you think about one, you know, what one thing, if you could narrow it down. Beg your pardon. There we go. I just had to unmute myself. Apologize. Um, so I, th I think it, it very, I can only speak from my own experience and from observing others, you know, uh, firsthand. Uh, I, I think there, broadly speaking, you can sort of put people into two categories um, at, in transition context. One would be, of course, people who, uh, who you know, and it all, it, I should add a sort of a caveat that it does depend to some degree on um, your length of service. So if you, you know, and I'd say nowadays we're mostly talking about post 9-11 veterans, right? Mm -hmm. So 
uh, we can assume, generally speaking, uh, depending on which uh, uh, branch the service they came out of or which, um, uh, you know, uh, discipline or, or uh, MOS or, you know, whatever skill set we want to call it from their military job, that they likely had either some direct combat experience or at least deployment to a combat zone with, you know, some uh, exposure to conflict. Um, and, and working in that environment, in an austere environment, and so forth. Uh, so that, that's a much more common experience. So in that, with that context, um, you know, when people come out, I think generally there are people, when I'll put myself in this category, it's a, probably a smaller category, of people who, uh, you know, would be very, very happy to work outside of a, a rigid hierarchy and, you know, with not so much structure and, and uh, um, you don't really want to have a boss. Well, okay, so that's the entrepreneur category. Um, and that with that comes a certain risk appetite. Uh, and then, you know, there's, a, a, I think, a much bigger uh, group of people uh, who, to varying degrees, do want to seek, uh, seek out uh, some sort of defined hierarchical structured environment for their next job or their next career. And uh, and in many cases, I, I describe it as having a, a, a pathway mapped out, right? So whether that includes uh, going back to school, getting your MBA, or your, you know, going to law school, being a doctor, whatever. Um, and, and that's a very different um, sort of risk appetite as well. So mm -hmm. to be successful, for me, my risk appetite is, you know, still today pretty darn high. Um, and but my conditions are unique to me. I, I'm not married. I don't have a family. I can I can afford to fail, um, mm -hmm. and, and I have, <laughs> and probably will again, right? And and that's that's okay. Thankfully, we live in a in a country where uh, failing is now I think uh, you know regarded almost as a virtue. Uh, certainly, as right. a um, you know, mark of uh, credibility uh, and experience and, you know, uh, grit and all those things, which are real and matter. Um, but, but, you know, that's, that's not easy. Uh, so, so successful transition for me in that context has been uh, the ability to bounce back after uh, a setback. And, you know, I've, I've had a number of them, which we can talk about in detail. Um, and I've always figured out a way to sort of claw my way back or to, um, you know, move from that laterally to something else, and so on and so forth. Um, I think I think successful transition for the latter group people I'm talking about again goes back to preparation, understanding what paths are available to you, what um, preparation you'll need to make, and then making it, and then yeah. walking the path. Uh, there's a great you know a quote that I only learned recently, but I think it's pretty apt. And you know, it, it's, it captures uh, something that's very fundamental for those of us who went through highly selective training pipelines and served in pretty competitive environments uh, where the stakes were very high. And it's, the quote is this, if you want to be successful at something, figure out what the price is and pay the price. That's simple. And that, you know, you can unpack that in detail, but, but when I, we look back at all the things we've accomplished, the four of us, you look back and go, well, gosh, I, maybe I wasn't so good at skill A, B, or C, but I figured out what I needed to learn or get better at, and I got better at it. And I, right. I made 
over the hump and or whatever. Uh, that's so. So I think there's uh, there's a lot of value in understanding uh, the the available paths that are out there, the the price you need to pay to be successful walking a certain path. Um, and, and I think increasingly, you know, in, in the good news part of our conversation, again, the military's gotten a lot better at educating, uh, uh, transitioning uh, soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, um, uh, coming out to understand what the price is they're going to have to pay to be successful in a given path. Mm-hmm. Great, great points. You cited a, you know, a year uh, transition window, which I think is notable and certainly agree with uh, generally with that with that time horizon it could be longer it can be shorter jerry how does that comport with your transition like when you think back to your first step away from nasa uh into the private sector how much how, what was that planning window like and and for you was it adequate enough do you wish you'd planned more like where did you land on that yeah you know my 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 transition window was probably about uh was probably about two years in the making i figure wow roughly about two years might even been as much as as three you know I knew that it was coming up soon that I was just gonna be done with the, mm-hmm. the government right and so yeah i I just started really thinking about really thinking about part of what I wanted to do, what skills I had, and you know as as Robert put it um you know, I was looking at uh, what could I what could I transfer and what did I need to learn? How did I need to educate myself? And one of the things I really I was very very confident in myself that I felt was going to make me successful was that regardless of where I transitioned to, um, I could I knew how to educate myself. I, I knew how to find the resources. I knew how to get smart about things. And I really, really focused on that. And this is something that I share with folks all the time is about educating yourself. It's always about being, it may sound a, a, maybe a little bit cliche-ish, but always just being just a, a consummate student. You're always learning. So I, I learned that. And as I was transitioning out of the government for the final time, I said, you know, one thing I, I really have a lot of confidence in is learning. So when I went into the uh, semiconductor manufacturing space, um, you know, I, I, I learned those processes and the things that they do in the technology in a, in a short order of time. I mean, I, I mean obviously, I'm not a subject matter expert in it, but sure. I learned enough in the first three months to get really, you know, be conversant in it. I had no idea going in, but I had that confidence coming in that, you know, I know how to learn, like, let me go find the very specific things and just start reading about things and learning about things and start having those conversations with people. Cause that also helps internal to when you're going into a new environment, it helps build credibility, right? It helps build mm-hmm. credibility about you and that sort of thing. And it wasn't just the functions of what the, the, the company did, but as Scott said earlier, I learned about the business side of it. I needed, I knew that I needed to learn, more about business because business in the government is very different from business in the in the corporate world, right? You're still dealing with money and that sort of thing, but you know, as we all know, that in the government, the the, the uh, there's no, it's not necessarily a, a, the the bottom line isn't currency, right? And right. and the currency of government is is politics, <laughs> you know, and so 
um, I had to learn, you know, the, the real ins and outs about business. And, and I did exactly that. When I got to that company, I, I found this guy. I don't know. He kind of found me. He was an older gentleman. He was actually a contractor that had been in the environment for a really long time and worked for the company for a while, then retired, became a contractor. But his background was financial management. So I met with him. I met with him once a month. We'd go to lunch and he, it was, it was my agenda. And I would open up my notebook and he was like, okay, what are your questions? I'm like, yeah, they're talking about TAM and these meetings. What's TAM? What's TAM? How, how, how does all this like work together? You know, I said, you know, and so he helped me kind of construct it, but I was, I was very quick to make sure that if I heard something, I didn't understand it, that I wrote it down and I learned about it like really, really quick. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think that's kind of, it helped me. It definitely was, I think the biggest success factor with me was understanding, like knowing what my shortfalls were and having confidence that I could learn things very, very rapidly. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and again, I, I, that, that started a couple of years out, but even when I was in the government, I did the same thing because we all know that like in the government and in organizations, uh, there's different segments. So for on the NASA side, you know, I was on, I was on the support side and then there's a the mission side. And the mission has a very different set of languages and cultures and that sort of thing. And to be able to sit at the table with the folks on the mission side, you got to have credibility. Well, how do you get credibility? I had to learn about space systems and space architectures and all this stuff. And I'm in the CIO's office. But I, uh, I was very aggressive about learning those things so I could get a seat at the table and have credibility. Um, and So I educated myself. And I just took that with me into uh, to where I am today. And I continue to do that all the time. I'm always educating. I'm always learning about things. So those are big success factors for me. Great. Scott, how about you? Um, when you when you reflect back in terms of the, the time horizon, what did that look like for you? Was it a year? Was it longer, shorter? Uh, the way I characterize it was I looked at um, my federal service had gone by so fast the first 10 years. And I thought, mm -hmm. okay, well, I got 10 more years till I can retire. You know, what am I going to do after that? So I better start planning now. I always try to have what we call a high visual, visual horizon. And um, so my planning started much, much earlier than what I would recommend uh, necessarily. But I was looking at how quickly my time had gone and where I wanted to be. And kind of to Rob's point, which I think is great. Um, I, you know, we're, we're all planners. We're taught to plan the military. And that's a great skill that you can bring with you. And so that's what I brought with me. Um, but my transition happened much faster because of mentorship. And so one thing that I definitely tell a lot of uh, veterans when they're transitioning is to find a mentor, find two, find three mentors, whatever, um, and have somebody that uh, you can bounce these things off of. Um, for mm -hmm. example, for me, um, I had a mentor who uh, worked for an entertainment company and that entertainment company was being bought by a much bigger entertainment company. And one of the things I did when I heard that is I called them and I said, hey, walk me through this. Very similar to Jerry's experience. You know, help me understand that. How do you make a decision uh, to stay with one company or go to the other company? Or, um, you know, what does this mean for stock, your stock, that kind of stuff. So trying to understand the business side of it is, is uh, really important. And you can't do that without somebody who can guide you. Because um, many of us aren't, don't uh, go get an MBA necessarily while we're in the military or in, in government. 
uh, we probably should, so we know how we're spending taxpayer money. But um, for me, I've always learned better by having somebody you can ask direct tactical questions to. Mm -hmm. Interesting. As you so the there's definitely a planning theme here that emerges very quickly. That you know you need to be uh, uh, to put it in a in a framework timing, right? So timing is a factor. Um, and I think hidden inside of that that we've all touched upon, you know, we've referenced it in terms of mentorship, we've talked about it in terms of networking and so forth, but hidden inside of some of the discussion we've already had this morning, there's this whole notion of, and Jerry, I think you said it out of the gate, you know, don't, don't go in with an expectation around how, you know, what transition is going to look like because you've served, you know, yes, you've developed leadership skills, yes, you've de developed this, uh, some very unique skills, knowledge, and abilities. Um, when you guys think about your own initial transitions, how much of a learning curve was it? And Scott, it's an example of jumping off from your point. All of us have mentioned this, right? Is that in, inside the corporate environment, if you will, it's got its own lexicon. It's got its own, you know, uh, um, culture. It's got its own naming conventions, acronyms, Jerry, as you alluded to. Um, so it, when you think about that and the actual transition that happened, was there anything in as part of that planning and preparation? Did you, and I'll just reform it here. Did you guys go through any kind of like a, you know, a skills assessment or a transition assessment to look at, here's what I've got and here's what I bring to the table. How does that comport with what's over here in this corporate role? Did you go through that rigorous analysis of an analysis to figure out, you know, is, are there things that I'm missing? Are there things that are deficient? And I think then the natural follow-on is if you did identify some, which I'm guessing we all did, what did you do to shore them up? So I'll just leave it open to whoever wants to pick up first. I will. The answer is nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, love it. No, but I mean, look, what you just described, I think beautifully that that's, of course you should do those things. Um, the reality is most of us, I certainly did not. Um, and I think most veterans still today probably don't, uh, or at least not in a way that's meaningful. Uh, and that's, that's really hard to do, I think. Um, it, it, part of the reason is because most veterans, even today, I'm, I'm projecting a little bit, but I'm confident in, this, in saying this, they still really don't understand. And, and this, I think, was maybe a good segue into talking about culture most veterans at that point simply don't have an understanding of uh, what those uh, gaps look like because they don't know what, what's on the other side. They simply don't know yet. Um, uh, so it's, hard, it's really tough to quantify. It's really tough to, you know, absent things like professional education, getting a certificate, getting, again, graduate degrees, well-defined things. I'm, I think the kinds of things you're talking about are sort of the, the more, um, you know, uh, call it resume bullet point type of things where you can point to accomplishments that are, you know, proxies for the, the hiring uh, criteria that they're looking for. Um, mm -hmm. that's, that's a much more complicated conversation, I think. Definitely. Jerry, how about you? Yeah, uh, like Robert, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I absolutely, absolutely not. You know, I didn't, I didn't think of things um, in that way. I, you know, I, I, I do, um, definitely recall um, thinking as I was kind of transitioning out um, that uh, I was naive into thinking that the corporate life 
was going to be a well-oiled machine and that it was going to, it was going to be great. And there was going to be any issues and I'm going to go in and I'm going to lead and I'm going to get everything I need. And we're going to put all these plans together and we're going to run a hundred miles. I was extremely naive to that. And then I got inside and I was like, what the hell is going, what is going on in this place? Yep. And, you know, you know, as, as you kind of see, you know, organizations have their, their, their corporate values and cultures and, and that sort of thing. And, and some, and some places you look at it, it's just a poster on the wall at the end of the day. Yes. You know, and I was really, really naive into thinking that organizations didn't have politics and stuff like that, you know, that it was only just in the government where all these politics are going on and, and maneuvering and, 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 and all that. But um, it is probably as deep, if not deeper, in corporate environments. And I, so I think you have to go in with your eyes wide open and, uh-huh. and believe that you know um, it is not a it is not nearly a perfect environment. Um, and again, I go I always kind of fall back onto um, learning, right? Learning. Be be prepared to to learn. Be prepared to have your eyes wide open and recognize that um, you know that you're going to be given tasks. You're going to be given um, uh, jobs to do where you have little to no information. And it's kind of like figure it out on your own, you know, and, I'm, and, and I like that from a perspective of those are the types of skills and qualities, things that you learn in, in the military, right? You, you learn how to, you know, you, you have very little information, you just kind of you figure things out. But um, I was extremely naive. I, I just thought that things were going to just work when I, when I went in. I had, um, you know, I'll leave it with, I had this vision that I would go into an office and I go into, into an elevator and I listen to nice elevator music on my ride up and it would be, and I'd walk out and be all quiet and everything. And I sit down on my desk and take my sandwich out of my bag, you know, um, and it was just chaos. It was just totally chaotic and just people running around. And um, yeah, so, um, uh, you know, there's just, there's, there's, there's things that you really have to go in. You really have to go in with your eyes. Uh, wide open, and uh, I, I I would say assume the worst. <laughs> you know, yeah. Walker, how about you? Skill, hard skills assessment, no. Um, but the soft skills and personality. Both tech companies I've been in uh, did personality tests, uh, which I thought were really good to see how you clicked with the team um, mm-hmm. and to learn about each other. Uh, but similar to Jerry, um, I. I was ignorant and arrogant going into my first tech company thinking this is going to be easy. And uh, I quickly found out that um, the skills that I thought were important were not important. So, Mm -hmm. you know, you can't go to somebody in the private sector and say, I I went to the coolest shoot and scoot school that you've ever seen. Like how, how can you not like trust me with protecting the CEO? But it's, because they have no concept for what you've done in the military. And when you tell them you're coming from the Air Force, everybody thinks you, you're a pilot. You know, I'm sure coming from the Navy, everybody thinks you're a SEAL. And the Marines, everybody thinks you're a grunt. Sorry. Um, but, you know, that that's the perception. And that becomes um, something that you have to overcome. And, and almost to a, to a point where there are times um, in the second tech company I was in, I just didn't want anybody to know that I'd been in the military. Um, because Interesting. It, it just, it doesn't, it didn't help. Um, and in fact, because it gave such a perception 
people because they couldn't conceptualize that, oh, you had a normal job in the military, you worked in IT, you worked in human resources, you worked in finance in the military. I mean, those are all skills that translate directly into the private sector, um, but the, the private sector doesn't always see it that way. So it's, um, and, I, and I've had people, because of my law enforcement experience, tell me to my face, oh, well, I don't expect you to understand because you're just a cop. Mm -hmm. well, I, I do understand, and I probably understand it better than they do, but right. because of the perception, um, I tended to, the further on that I got in my experience, back away from um, having that persona. Uh, and Wes, you saw this directly my first couple of years. Um, in the Air Force, we kind of have a uniform, but not the normal uniform. It's a blue polo shirt and, and khaki pants. And that was all I used to wear my first year because I didn't know what is, what's the corporate costume, you know, what's the corporate culture allow me to wear. So um, similar to when I transitioned to the second tech company, which is a social media company, um, t-shirts, shorts, and flip-flops were normal things for the CEO to wear. So I had to transition my thought that way as well and, and understand the culture. Um, but that was the biggest shock for me was I thought this was going to be easy. I was going to roll in there and all the policies, procedures and processes that I had for the government, I was just going to implement that stuff. What sure. I didn't realize is you're working with folks or I was working with folks, not now, but in the past, we were working with folks who had no idea how to do the things that I had done in the government. So when I was leading investigators, for example, and I would say things like, well, just go collect the evidence and make sure you have a good chain of custody they didn't know what chain of custody was. And mm -hmm. so you have to understand that, that even if uh, you're doing something very similar to what you did in the government, that doesn't mean that everybody around you understands what that is, how it gets done and the value it provides. So um, level setting. And again, just like Jerry said, it's not that you, you don't have the skills, it's just that you need to apply those skills differently. Mm -hmm. And that was the biggest issue for me, applying them differently. Hey, yeah. let me let me interject also. I mean, Scott brings up a lot of good good points. Uh, you know, th there's you know, I, I've I've you know gotten to a, a couple of jobs, and there's uh, you know in the corporate world, and there's 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 there were positions where I went through the whole process, and they made an offer, and I turned it down, right? And sure. I I I um, had talked to. Um, my references after they did like reference checks and that sort of thing. And uh, one company I got inside and, you know, there is, you know, there's a lot of corporations and this is for people who are coming out of government or military service. Um, you know, they, they are, they are skeptical of you. They're skeptical that you can make the transition. Um, and so I think people have to go in uh, again, with eyes wide open, that there's a there's a little bit of skepticism about you know people come out of the government. They they just don't think you can you can do it or you can you can handle it. And I think a lot of it centers around like the business side of things. They're thinking that you can't you're not going to understand the business side of things, and maybe you don't. But that's why I always say it's so important to educate yourself and learn because there are there is there is a lot of skepticism about me going into certain companies. They're just like, oh, we just don't think you can transition. From the government the government is so much is so it's so different and again i talk about the the different currencies right the currency of government is politics um mm -hmm. and so again i just can only press upon people to really uh, you know educate yourselves and learn and learn 
how to educate yourself really quickly and get up to speed on things because there's going to be uh, an organization may hire you, but there's going to be some folks and they could be higher up in the food chain that are going to be skeptical about you, about your ability to transition and do well. So it's interesting. That, that's, that that's really, yeah, that's a really interesting comment, Jerry. Sorry, I didn't mean to uh, cut you short there. The, you know, the phrase I always use is context matters. Uh, and, and I think, and that's a double edged, you know, the knife cuts both ways, as we'd say, or it's a double edged sword, right? So Scott used the word arrogance and it's kind of interesting. I mean, I reflect back, um, when I first landed in, uh, in big tech, you know, here I am the top security executive for a major global technology company. And of course, all of us have had backgrounds where we were dealing with global security issues, national security issues at scale. Um, and so you bring that experience in and it's interesting because there's a, sometimes a level of arrogance inside the company by people who I call it misplaced arrogance, where they have zero background, zero training and zero experience like any of us bring to the table. And yet they challenge you and, and talk at you like, you know, hey, I'm your equivalent colleague. <laughs> I'm going to tell you how we're going to handle matters on things they really had no depth of uh, understanding or expertise about. But it cuts the other way, too, because I, I think of a story, and Scott was uh, actually party to this particular event. We were working specifically in a large corporate campus environment, uh, and we were doing preparations. This was many, many years ago around active shooter preparedness and had brought in the local uh, law enforcement agency. And as we were touring this team, and some of them were SWAT operators, um, we were touring them around the campus. And of course, we're all getting to know each other. And Scott and I are sharing along with um, our operations manager, who also had a law enforcement uh, background, the fact that we were confronting things like global travel security, terrorism risk, et cetera. And the collective eye rolls from the officers were you know, quite notable, frankly. And what we recognized very quickly as we took them into the GSOC and they realized what on its face sounded like a bunch of puffery on our part, like Jesus, man, how could this company that sits on the corner of our city here be worrying about terrorism risk? Then they go into the GSOC and see mission control and effectively learn, wow, you guys have hundreds of sites in 65 countries around the world and people are traveling at any given time. Yeah, there's a hell of a lot of risk. Um, and, and whether that's civil unrest or, or uh, you know, a, a terrorist uh, event or whatever the case may be, um, we recognize very quickly the lack of context. And it's, it's interesting in terms of the knife cuts both ways, as you guys know, one of the companies that I own specifically does advanced training and consulting for law enforcement, homeland security, intelligence community space. Uh, and so we're in front of a lot of these special operations folks, particularly at the state and local levels. Um, and it's been interesting because naturally in these discussions, because they know of our touch points in the private sector, it's natural to ask about transition planning. And in terms of command staffers, the old school modality of, well, I've been a command staffer for a large municipal law enforcement agency. I can walk in and be the head of global security. It's a no brainer. I just walk right in and do it. And my counterpunch to that, given an example of things like how have you confronted how you're going to handle the security envelope in a non-permissive country? 
How, how have you dealt with that in your city's AOR? And they glaze over. And the, and the counterpunch I offered, which was interesting and got some kind of harumps from, <laughs> from the bench was if, if you believe that a command staff level law enforcement person could cut straight over and run global security, then the inverse must be true. So if I take somebody who's only run corporate security roles, they should be able to cut over and just be the command staff for the police. I'm like, well, no, absolutely not. It's completely different. And they said, exactly. You know, having been in both worlds, it's, it's a factor. And so um, as we think, you know, as, we, as we've been talking about, we think about transition planning and kind of that gaps analysis. Um, again, you know, I hearken off of the comments you guys have made around what's that transition process look like and what's your relative preparedness. Um, I want to I cut over into another kind of interesting dimension, which is when you think about the targeting you did as part of your transition, I touched upon timing, but how did you guys approach the actual transition to the jobs that you were after? Did you target them with specificity or did you shotgun blast your resume out and go after a bunch of different stuff and hope something would land? Like what, what did that look like for you? And maybe the caveat to it is, was it successful in, a, in its approach? Scott, why don't you start with that? Yeah, I, because I hadn't really planned to do the transition when I was um, thinking about transition, I would do that just to get a reaction, just to see what kind of reaction I would get. And usually it was no reaction at all. Um, and now having transitioned and been in the private sector for some time and working with veterans and working with people who are transitioning from law enforcement, um, what I find is that they also um, do that, uh, which is I just shoot my, I, I've applied for hundreds of jobs, I've, or even worse, I've had hundreds of, or dozens of initial interviews and I don't get past the first interview. And um, so while LinkedIn is a great tool, um, it is not the only tool and it, and it doesn't replace the need for a relationship. And so what I've uh, been trying to, to imp impress upon people in transition lately is the relationship is everything. The relationship will get you whatever is next. And um, there's a number of ways that you can do that. You can do that through associations, uh, professional associations or certifications, um, but you also don't have to join those. You can use your LinkedIn knowledge or Google knowledge to go out there and find somebody who's got a similar background to you and is working in some some place that you want to work in, in an industry in an area of the world um, or has the job that you want hit them up you know I mean for Jerry if you find somebody who's a former marine out there maybe somebody who was stationed who's a first marine stationed at Camp Pendleton uh, around the same time you were or before or after you hit them up you know mm -hmm. for me it was looking out from and finding people who've been in the Coast Guard or in the Air Force you know, and I continue to do that um, everywhere I go anyways, just because your network will be everything. It, it'll be the thing that'll save you. It'll be the thing that'll help you. It'll be the thing that'll guide you. Mm -hmm. Rob, how about for you? Did you, were you kind of targeted in, in your transition or did you look at a lot of different things and kind of throw out oh, at the wall? It, it varied, Wes. Um, and, and I think one of the things I, I want, I, I think we should address is, 
the the changes that have happened uh, certainly you know let's say since I over the last 20 years since my first transition to where we are today what what are uh, the resources that are available for for people transitioning out now. Um, so, so short answer to your question is not really. Um, you know, when I left the Navy, uh, I had dropped my application <clears throat> for the agency, and I wound up at Blackwater through word of mouth. Um, you know, literally made a made a phone call, and two days later, my interview, such as it was, uh, happened. And you know, a week later, I was on a plane to Afghanistan. Okay, well that. That's not going to happen anymore. Um, yeah. But you know, then fast forward to, um, I, I, for me, the big one probably was uh, when I left. Um, in between, when I moved back home to California uh, after uh, Blackwater. So th at that point, I did not know that I was going to reapply to to the agency and go back into government service. Um, mm -hmm. I didn't think that path was going to be available at that point. So I thought my you know, sort of military national security life was over and I was going to, you know, completely leave it all behind and, and, you know, have a, a J-O-B job and, you know, be John Q citizen and, you know, never look back. Um, and so that's when I started applying to other, uh, other companies. And this is, you know, maybe where we can talk about culture and some of those other things as well, or start to talk about them you know, I was some companies people recommended, hey, they really like military people, you should apply there. At the time, Pfizer was probably the number one example. I had, you know, a ton of friends who were successful in the pharmaceutical industry. Um, and that looked appealing. Um, I wound up in, you know, financial services, because primarily what I had an interest, but a, you know, an old family friend who had known me since childhood, was a senior executive at Edward Jones at the time. And he, you know, helped me to get an interview. And, you know, again, that was very specific to the culture of that company where I think I had two interviews and, and boom, hired, but I didn't know what I was getting into either. And I ended up not liking it and not being successful at it. So again, I, I think, I think the situation today is, is quite a lot, you know, is much improved uh, where, you know, the, the information that is available to transitioning veterans um, just through resources like LinkedIn to start and, you know, uh, other uh, things like Glassdoor, for example, if you want to look at a company's culture and get some feedback and things like that. Um, the other thing, you know, I think we should explore a little bit is what are these other uh, resources, resources that are avail available for veterans, uh, whether, whether they're transition centric or just veteran centric. Um, you know, again, when I first started looking at this back in 2010, 2011, and started, you know, taking some action to address the issue, uh, you know, there were maybe, let's say there were a thousand different organizations that, that, that might be a little bit low, but just for the sake of comparison. So you looked up nonprofits for veterans, there wouldn't be that many or relatively few. And, and I don't think there were any at that time that were focused specifically on transition. Today, I would be willing to bet there are over 25,000 nonprofit organizations of varying, you know, uh, scale and 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 uh, scope. But but the point is, there's a lot more help available out there. Um, and but again, I'm not. I don't know that veterans know that coming out. Right. Right. So. 
I mean, there, there are still some challenges, uh, I, I would argue, maybe that field's a little bit crowded, um, and not all of them are focused on the things we're talking about. Um, but there are some effective organizations out there that help, uh, uh, you know, broadly speaking, help veterans to, to make the transition to their next career. Great. Jerry, how about for you? Did you, uh, were you a sniper or a shotgun blaster <laughs> with your resume? Yeah, I, I um, this is a great question. I was actually a little bit uh, more targeted about what I wanted to do and where I wanted to go. Um, and, you know, I would put my resume out here and there. When I was in the government, what I started to notice, you know, was that in my time in the government, that when I would check the uh, social media platforms, like LinkedIn in particular, I would have a lot of recruiters hitting my page all the time. And after a while, I was like, what is this all about? Like, why are they always coming to my page? And then I would start getting over time, you know, over three, four, five years, I would always get these offers for jobs. It was like, hey, you know, not offers, but, you know, uh, be a potential candidate. And it was like, hey, you know, we saw your profile. We're looking to fill this. Uh, we think you might be a good candidate. And, and I always, you know, even though I wasn't ready to leave at the time, my attitude was I'll entertain any conversation. They'll just let me see what's out there, what they're talking about. Um, and, you know, but they came, you know, one of the things that I think is important, particularly if you are several years out um, from your transition, um, is that one of the things I really focused on is like I made my, I, I try to make myself a brand, right? So when you go out on the web today, and if you, you know, search around for me, you'll see a ton of stuff out there. You know, I, I'm, I was into everything, you know, and, and you know, I'm a, I'm a big ideas guy. And so I would put those things out. So as I kind of build that online brand recruiters, they saw that stuff, you know, and so they kind of ping you and that sort of thing. I would say the other, the other piece of that, you know, at my time in the government, um, all those years, you know, you start to, you, you, you start to understand what your, what you want and what your tolerances are. And I've, I've said this before uh, to you, Wes, in particular, that, you know, for me, I have kind of, I kind of look at four different uh, job opportunities, you know, let's say like in cybersecurity, number one, like if a, if a company's going to hire you, I look at number one, there's a job opportunity where you're, you're going to be the first head of security for that, for that company. It's a new program and you're going to build it from the ground up. For me, I'm like, that's great when you're like younger in your career and you're like, yeah, you got a whole bunch of energy and you're all about it. Um, the second one, you know, I look at, you know, companies that say, you know, we had a program, but it's kind of uh, gone by the wayside and we want someone to, to prop it back up again. The third, you know, programs I look at are, hey, um, this program is, is very well funded. It's a great program. It's had great leadership. We need someone to scale it up another notch, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's that fourth one where we've had a catastrophic failure in our program. <laughs> we fired the last sizzle. We need yeah. to bring a turnaround guy in, and yeah. you're, mm -hmm. you know, we want to see if you're interested in that. So I kind of look at that, um, and I've decided that, like, it, it, you know, really the building of the program. I'm like, I'm tired of that. That's a, it's a lot of work. It's, you're running 100 miles an hour and you're going into a culture that generally don't know what they need or what they want. 
Um, mm -hmm. And so it's kind of a fight. And like I said, I had a lot more energy to fight when I was much younger. And but now with all the experience, and I'm like, you know, I don't, I'm not doing those fights anymore. And I prefer organizations that are generally healthy, but they want to scale up. So mm -hmm. I kind of like targeted, you know, when when companies have contacted me, recruiters contact me and say like, hey, it's a it's a it's a new position, and you know, it's really great, and you know, you'll be able to set everything. I'm kind of like now I'm like, yeah, I'm not I'm not interested in that. I don't want to do that anymore, you know. Um, so. I, uh, I've, I've, I've used that as kind of my criteria for, for, for targeting, you know, that, that's not to say that, you know, I won't go back and go into an organization that uh, maybe, you know, is, is starting anew and, and help them out or something like that and with a program, but it's just, it's, it's uh, not really my preference, you know? So again, I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a more targeted guy. Yeah. It, it's, I'll, I'll unpack that a bit because I think you guys have all covered some interesting um, points there that, again, we could talk about some of these topics for hours, candidly, as we all know, because we have um, you know, over the years. But I think one of the things that's really interesting to me as I reflect on, uh, Jerry, some of the points you just made, um, and I'll tie them back to culture specifically, because, again, you know, culture is one of these, I'll put my law, law hat on, it's a term of art right? It means different things to different people or it has a very contextual alignment. And so I think when we hear about culture, people tend to, you know, wax on about, oh, you know, you're talking about the mission and vision statement of the company or at Jerry, as you, I think, said earlier, it's what's on the wall, uh, right? But at the end of the day, uh, some of the things, Jerry, you just touched upon, I think are pivotally important as part of that targeting process. So that even if you're taking that shotgun approach, if I'm gonna throw my resume, which by the way, I don't advocate doing, but I understand the, the utility of it in some cases. Um, at the end of the day, making sure you know what you're getting yourself into. I mean, um, something Scott and I worked on years ago, a, a former friend, and, uh, call, a former colleague and friend of mine, uh, who was a uh, special agent in charge with um, a specific agency within Homeland Security, uh, was planning his transition. And so we did a bunch of work to help him completely recast his resume, as I say, uh, use the decoder ring to translate all of his gov experience into, this is how corporate people understand this, like all the things we've talked about, leadership, budget, financial management, uh, personnel administration, all the different um, things that, you know, could be translated into, into corporate, um, uh, kind of that corporate structure and, and taxonomy. However, uh, it was interesting because we spent a lot of time talking to him about the culture of the companies that he was targeting and very specifically to recognize that Jerry, as you just alluded to, I said to this gentleman, just recognize if you think this is a retirement job, uh, you're sorely mistaken. And so he had his 25 in, got his gold watch, he's doing his big federal retirement, and I'm gonna go have the big job for a big tech company here, it was a global job. And I said, and, and he was excited because the job was going to be running global investigations for the company inside the security, corporate security function. Um, and the view was, oh, you know what, I miss working cases, I've been, I've been you know, a supervisory agent, and then, you know, the sack for a big office and done, you know, it'd be good just to do some cases and get back, you know, get back to kind of the day to day. Um, 
he successfully landed the job. So he helped him successfully with the transition, his interview prep, all that stuff. And we ran into him later that year in person. And although we were in touch, he said, Wes, I got to tell you, I didn't really take into account the lessons you were trying to convey. I've worked harder in this job than I ever did as a federal agent as an 1811. And I'm like, I told you, I said, I told you. And, and he, he said, I know, but he said at the six month point, I nearly quit because I was never home constantly TD wide out. He's constantly chasing stuff around the world. And he, and he thought, Oh, I'm going to go from this, you know, cushy sack job running a big office to, well, I'll handle some investigations and I'm in this big corporate thing and get free lunch every day. I don't have to put any, any money in the chock full of nuts can for my coffee. I guess this is a great day. Um, nothing could have been further from the truth. And so Jerry, as you've alluded to, and, and all of you, I mean, Rob, you mentioned it too, in terms of, you know, you made the jump into the financial services space as a, as a uh, financial advisor and you get in there and go, Oh shit, this is not what I signed up for. This is not what I thought I was coming to do. Yep. Uh, and so when we talk, uh, I think I'll say the collective we here, I think when, when we, uh, you know, advocate to people to learn the culture and Rob, you mentioned Glassdoor. And Scott, you mentioned, you know, working your network of people. That's a piece of this is to figure out what's the culture of the company. And Jerry, as you alluded to, what's the maturity of what you're signing up to do? Is this a brand new thing? It's a new build? Is it a turnaround? Because everything's jacked up and it needs to be corrected. We fired the last person because they weren't a good fit. Those are all cues or clues to be digging into as part of your due diligence in, in targeting roles, right? And kind of synthesize through that. Um, in terms of, again, you know, you guys have talked about this, but in terms of sussing out um, what the, the target job, if you will, might look like, any insights or, or, you know, key lessons you'd point to there that were success factors of figuring out, hey, now that I learned this lesson, now that I had this scar, I'd do this differently. Anything you'd specifically unpack around targeting and culture? Uh, so I'll, I'll address that a little bit, uh, Wes, because um, as I said, <clears throat> excuse me, I've done this a number of times across a number of different, uh, you know, very different uh, uh, disciplines or, or um, business sectors. And, and I think Jerry, you absolutely captured the, the part of this perfectly with which I would I would summarize is know yourself first, right? Know know what what your appetite is for whatever it is you're going to go after, um, and uh, <laughs> I, I I I think you know the idea that that number one that your uh, expectations will map to uh, reality. You know you've got to sort of keep that in check because of course, um, as we all know, no no plan survives first contact. Um, and, and, and that, that can be a rude shock, as you, as you mentioned, I've, I've, I found that out a number of times myself. Um, so, so I think that, uh, with respect to, um, you know, finding the right fit, um, <clears throat> obviously research always helps, but, but I think you have to be, you have to understand really what, uh, your, you know, what drives you, what, 
at the end of the day, what is it you want to be doing, what you want to accomplish, those kinds of things, which again, I don't know that you, when you're in military service or in government service, you think about a whole lot. You might think about, well, gosh, I, uh, you know, I want to get promoted or I want to, you know, if you're in a, a more bureaucratic organization like, like at the agency, well, I want to uh, serve in, in these various jobs or I want to, you know, go here. Or, but but I think rarely do you, do you, do you think in terms of um, you know what impact do I want to make? I, I, that, that, that's a and, and again, Jerry, I think you sort of alluded to what what are the, the metrics within government um, versus in the private sector. That takes that's a recalibration that has to happen, and 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 until you do that, and until you really understand what that means uh, for your given sector, it's it's pretty tough to set expectations realistically. Um, and so, you know, I'm not sure that gives anybody any specific guidance, but, but when I look back at it now, uh, uh, according to, um, you know, the various degrees of success and failure, uh, the various iterations of success and failure, um, you know, I, I don't know that I ever had my expectations met, which could mean my expectations were not realistic, or could mean that I simply didn't, you know, do adequate research, um, or you know, as adequate targeting. Uh, and and I think those those factors are true pretty much across the board for everybody. Um, you're always going to have to grapple with these issues. Uh, and you know, the hard part is there's no easy answer. Um, you just have to go. You have to walk the path as far right. down the path as you you know care to go. Um, you know, and some, some people will have success and never look back. Others will, you know, hit a roadblock and go, well, gee, do I need to turn back? Do I need to veer off this path? You know, those kinds of decisions that have to be made. Um, and, you know, the good news is today, there are all kinds of alternate paths out there. So uh, uh, changing courses, again, it's not, it's not a bad thing. In fact, you know, pivoting is, is uh, highly valued. Your ability to pivot is considered a, a great asset. So, um, you know, long, long and short of it is, I think we're, we're in a situation where all of these possibilities are there. Um, and part of the challenge is to help in transitioning veterans to recognize that they're not locked in. They're not, you know, their fate is not sealed uh, at any, given any setbacks. Great. Good deal. Jerry, any, anything you'd add on there? Just really quick, um, I would just say that um, uh, you know you 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 have to ask the you have to ask you have to learn to ask the, the right questions, right? Mm -hmm. Also, when you're going into something, and I think a lot of times what can happen is when you're transitioning out and you're going into a new environment, a corporate environment, you, it's very easy. It's it's very very easy to get caught up in. Uh, what Scott talked about earlier, like RSUs and compensation and all that, and that you can get caught up in that really easy and forget about everything else. And you have to ask a, a, a lot of questions um, and and trust your instincts, you know, really trust your instincts. And, I, and I've learned to uh, get really good at that, at, at trusting my instincts when I'm, when I'm talking about a, a role in a position. You know, I, I, I recently turned down a, a role in a position with a, with a pretty, pretty large firm that a company that that everybody's familiar with um and uh you know i had this plans and thoughts about things going in but you know i started asking questions and they started telling me more things i started probing and i and i and i knew i said you know if 
I take this job, I'm going to be miserable. I'm going to be miserable. Even though they were throwing all the money and everything at, at me, I'm like, I'm going to be miserable in six months, probably mm-hmm. three months, and I'm going to be trying to look to, to, to go somewhere else. And I validated, yeah. I validated my instincts by talking to people within the company that I knew. I have friends that already work in a company um, in executive roles and that sort of thing. And, and they came back and they said, yeah, they're like, uh, there, there's a lot of red flags about what they're telling you and that sort of thing. And I started asking the question. So um, I, I've learned um, it, it, myself to put aside all the glamour and gloss and that sort of thing and the RSUs and like, hey, yeah, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, you know I can't wait to get those RSUs come up buy a house in Ecuador on the beach and all that. <laughs> um, and, and ultimately, you know, realize that, uh, um, you know, there, there are, those are the trappings of the, of the job and trust your instincts and, and ask a lot of, a lot of questions. Because the worst thing, the last thing you want to do is get caught up in, in uh, uh, something that you, you just really hate and you're finding now that you're, 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 you're transitioning out six months later. And, and to Rob's point about, you know, no plan survives, you know, first contact. I always like to use the Mike Tyson term that like, you know, everybody's got a plan yeah. to get punched in the mouth, Amen. right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, so I tell folks, you know, don't, don't get caught up in the trappings of the conversations, but you know, be targeted about what you really want to do. And lastly, I'll say more than anything is do not at, you know, at any, at any amount of money or compensation, compromise your ethics and integrity for a role. Yeah. Do, do, do not, do not do that. I mean, that, that's all you have. I, I kind of feel at the end of the day, um, and the, the company's values and ethics and integrity, that sort of thing doesn't line up to yours. Um, and you get inside that place, you're gonna you're gonna be miserable. So yes, I'll leave it. Hundred percent. Yeah. And, Great point. And Jerry, right. to add to that, ahead, I would say be ready to walk away. Yeah. Because yeah. um, I'm sure all of us have done that. Uh, the the second tech company I was in, um, they rope a dope me into believing we were gonna do one thing. I ended up doing another thing that was being done an unethical way, Jerry. And uh, I was willing to walk away from all the all the, the free meals and all the free junk that they give you and great pay to work with people that I wanted to work with and to make something that I wanted to make and um, to not be afraid of that and to and to know that that you are doing the right thing because um, you should never compromise your ethics or, or your integrity. I want to jump in very quickly on this point. So, uh, and share a a quick anecdote. When I left the agency in 2010, I had a fantastic job lined up. I was going to be the chief operating officer of a, uh, we'll call the Development Foundation in Washington, D.C. Had fantastic salary, more money than I'd ever made before. Tons of independence. Oh, it was going to be fantastic. Uh, You know, beautiful office on Embassy Row in D.C. And I could travel. It was going to be beautiful. That job lasted three weeks. And I left one of the toughest, or well, not toughest, the most secure uh, jobs in the world as an you know, agency <laughs> officer with, with all my clearances, et cetera, into uh, the cold, hard, cruel world out there. And I got dumped on my head, essentially. But Jerry, Jerry's point and Scott's point hold. The reason I left is because uh, there was a mismatch, we'll put it charitably, um, uh, of ethical and, and even uh, legal <laughs> guidelines uh, with what I was comfortable with and certainly not what I was used to. Um, 
and which leads me to my point. And, and I, I can't take credit for this. Another uh, friend, former veteran, um, told me this two years ago, describing his job search. And it's very, very simple. All you need to do is find your people or find your tribe, whatever you want to call it. And, and that cuts through, I think, a lot of the um, a lot of the hyperbole about corporate culture and, you know, trying to see if you're a good fit. And, you know, sometimes it, it does take a, a round of eight or 10 interviews, which I understand is the norm in a lot of big companies these days. That's fine. But, but the, the essence of it is, if, and this is particularly important for veterans, this is why I say it. Because one thing that veterans share in terms of uh, a working culture is, you know, we, to varying degrees, we all understand what it means to work in a team. We all understand what it means to work with a very high degree of integrity and transparency and immediate feedback. In my case, I learned those hard lessons in the battle days of the SEAL teams where it was essentially a gang. I mean, we had, you know, we had, uh, when, I, when we talk about immediate uh, 360 degree feedback, <laughs> probably meant if you mouthed off, you're going to get a beating, you know, yeah. punishment, physical hazing, those kinds of things, everyday uh, experience. So I'm not suggesting that's the right way. I'm just saying that's what I went through. So I understand how we translate that forward into, you know, and in a corporate culture or an environment where for veterans coming in, they have to understand that not everyone has that common uh, baseline level of, of direct transparency and integrity and mission focus and, and, um, uh, and, and team play in the, in the way that I think a lot of uh, military organizations really instill. It's one thing the military does beautifully. And, and the important thing is that if you can find your, your people, your tribe, your team, you have, that's, that's the answer. The, I, I would argue, you know, if I would distill anything down, I would say that is the only thing that matters. Because if you can be successful at finding your team, finding your tribe, it doesn't matter what work you do. You could be digging ditches and it would be, number one, you'd dig the best ditches in the world. And number two, you'd probably have a ball doing it. And number three, you'd probably find some hidden treasure or some other opportunity to go after. Um, so, so I, I, I sort of want to, you know, that, that's sort of my input on, on culture because, uh, I really, if you can't get that part right, uh, and, and Jerry alluded to this, all the bells and whistles, the shiny objects, they don't matter. There's no substitute for, for getting that part of the equation right. Awesome. Guys, I know that we've, uh, um, used up our time today. This has been an awesome discussion. It's always great to get around the table together and, talk through um, interesting topics. Of course, we spent a lot of time on this one and uh, particularly to my uh, brothers and sisters in the law enforcement space, uh, there's a lot of people contemplating transition now, uh, given the societal uh, issues that are going on right now, anti-police uh, being fomented uh, broadly in the US. So as a result, hopefully that uh, discussions we've had today have given folks some insights about what to think through. I'll close by making a final comment that's really the, the, the lash up of all of our collective commentary. And as a jumping off point, I think the biggest thing I can impress upon folks is the, is the importance of networking, first and foremost, because talking to people and developing that network uh, that are gonna get you closer to what you're trying to achieve in a transition 
is really the pivotal first step. That's going to make all the difference in the world to get uh, find your tribe, as Rob, you've said, and, and bring them together. And then uh, uh, Jerry and Scott, as you guys have alluded to, you know, how do you drive that alignment through and figure out how to do better targeting and so forth. And, uh, you know, with that in mind, I just profess networking is not simply shotgunning your resume at people and saying, hey, I'm looking to transition now. Uh, it's really making sure you're, particularly if you're reaching out to people you have no existing relationship with, go develop the relationship and continue to cultivate the relationship uh, when someone helps you. Uh, that's one of probably the other uh, final comments I'd make. Guys, I really appreciate your time today. Any, any final comments as we close up here? Scott, I'll start with you. Network is everything. Great. Rob? So uh, I, I would say um, last bit is do look at the nonprofit world while, while we were talking. I, I looked up the stats. There are, some, there are over 45,000 veterans nonprofit organizations out there. I'm not suggesting wow. wade through all of them, but understand that there, are, there is help. Uh, you don't, as you said, don't, don't go it alone. A, you won't be successful. B, why should you? There's a ton of people out there who want to help. Um, and, and maybe that's a discussion for another podcast or another interview, but, yeah. um, but that's a big one. Super. Jerry. And I would just finally say uh, two things already been said is number one, uh, networking can't be emphasized enough. You have to network um, and work those networks. And then I think the, the second piece is, is about educating and investing in yourself. Constantly educate yourself constantly yeah. in, invest in yourself. I've been in, in this profession a really long time, but I, I, I invest in myself, you know, weekly. Weekly, I'm investing in myself. Um, and so I've just put that out to folks as well. Super. Gentlemen, always a pleasure. Uh, have a great day and uh, look forward to having you guys back. I'm sure we'll get some follow-up commentary and questions here and we can uh, cinch this down based upon what our viewers and listeners uh, want us to spend more time on. So thanks again. Stay safe. We'll talk soon. This is Wesley Bull, the host of Corporate Insecurity. Thanks again for listening. I hope you're finding our content provides useful insights on what companies are doing or could be to better protect their people, places, and things. Please subscribe or follow us on social media via our account, Corporate Insecurity. You can find us on LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and even Instagram. You can also follow my Twitter handle at OnSecurityRisks. Please reach out to me with a direct message to let me know what other topics you'd like us to cover. As a reminder, new episodes release every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time. Until next time, stay safe.